very day that the protector of England, Oliver Cromwell, died. There was a ferocious storm that day. In order to determine the force of the gale, I jumped first in the direction in which the wind blew, then in opposition to the wind. And after measuring the length of the leap in both directions, and comparing it with the length to which I could jump on a perfectly calm day, was enabled to compute the force of the storm. It was around this time that Newton became interested in mathematics, encouraged by his headmaster, Henry Stokes, who saw what immense ability the boy had. Stokes persuaded Newton's mother that a university life would suit Isaac far more than farming, a fact of which she was probably already aware, and so he returned to school for two years' further study, until in 1661 Newton entered the new and strange world of Trinity College, Cambridge, his new life was starting. He had but limited funds and was forced to become a sizer, a kind of servant to his tutors, to supplement his income. Life as an undergraduate was often boisterous, as this rule of Trinity shows. January 16th, 1660. Ordered also that no bachelor what condition soever, nor any undergraduate come into the upper butteries, save only a sizar that is sent to see his tutor's quantum, and then to stay no longer than is requisite for that purpose under penalty of sixpence for every time. But if any shall leap over the hatch, or strike a butler or his servant upon this account of being hindered to come into the butteries, he shall undergo the censure of the masters and seniors. Cambridge at that time was a place of intense excitement and ferment. Firstly, the effects of the Civil War were still felt in the university. Cambridge had sided with the monarchy, and many of its treasures had been used to raise funds for the royalist cause. Furthermore, many of the dons had been removed from office on the orders of Cromwell. But there was also an intense air of academic expectancy as the scientific revolution gained momentum. The great works of Galileo, Kepler and the philosophies of Descartes had shown the classical science of Aristotle and Plato to be more than lacking. New ideas about nature and science, or natural philosophy as it was called, were influencing every part of intellectual thought. New instruments of investigation, such as the microscope and telescope, were opening up hitherto unknown horizons and the growing economic rewards of expanding trade demanded more accurate means of navigation. New methods of scientific inquiry were being used, and scientific investigation was openly encouraged by bodies such as the newly founded Royal Society. Newton entered this electrifying world and thrived upon it. He read so many books on logic and mathematics that attendance at many lectures became unnecessary for him. He read Euclid's Geometry, but dismissed it briefly as a trifling book. Descartes' Geometry he found more absorbing, and he applied himself to the task of understanding it with great determination. At about this time, Newton came under the guiding hand of one Isaac Barrow, the first Lucasian professor of mathematics. Barrow was a gifted scholar with a high reputation as a theologian and classicist, a man who smoked constantly and cared little for his dress. In Newton, he saw a great intellect, 
and proceeded to develop these latent abilities, particularly in geometry. Later, after Newton had assisted Barrow in a book on optics, correcting several errors and making some capital additions of his own, Barrow acknowledged this help in a preface describing Newton as a man of excellent character and a great genius. From his tutor, Newton gained a deep interest in optics and light and a passion for mathematics. There was also his love of astronomy. Indeed, when a comet appeared in 1664, Newton made long observations, sitting up late into the night and making himself very unwell. Newton also began work on topics which were to be of immense importance later, investigating equations containing an infinite series of terms and something he called his fluxions, which today is known as the differential calculus. He often jotted down odd ideas for these in notebooks, and in one which he entitled Certain Philosophical Questions, he proudly proclaimed, Amicus Plato, Amicus Aristoteles, Magis Amica Veritas. Plato is my friend, Aristotle is my friend, but my greatest friend is truth. By all accounts, Newton as an undergraduate was shy and retiring, but he was sociable enough to visit the tavern or gamble at cards. He was most fastidious in writing up his accounts, and the following entry, made a few years later, gives an insight into his life at Cambridge. Drills, gravers, hone, a hammer and a mandrel, three shillings, a magnet, sixteen shillings, compasses, three shillings and six pence, glass bubbles, four shillings, my bachelor's account, seventeen shillings and six pence, at the tavern several times, one pound, spent on my cousin Ayscoff, twelve shillings and six pence, on other acquaintance, ten shillings, cloth, two yards, and buckles for a vest, two pounds, philosophical intelligences, nine shillings and six pence, the history of the Royal Society, seven shillings, lost at cards twice, fifteen shillings, at the tavern twice, three shillings and six pence. In 1665, Newton gained his degree of Bachelor of Arts and stayed in Cambridge as a graduate to continue his studies. As chance would have it, this was not to last for long. In the same year, 1665, the Great Plague that was to ravage most of England and Europe reached Cambridge. As a safety measure, the whole university was closed and the students dispersed. Newton, his head crammed with the many new ideas he had absorbed, was sent back to the peace and undisturbed quiet of his hamlet of Woolsthorpe. All he could do there was to ponder on these things, to meditate and experiment alone. The terrible plague closed the university for two years, from 1665 to 1667. 
At home in Woolsthorpe, Newton had plenty of time to sort out the many ideas that filled his head. I was in the prime of my age for invention and minded the subjects of mathematics and philosophy more than at any time since. His investigations followed three main lines, mathematics, optics and astronomy. Firstly, in mathematics, he improved and developed his fluxions, his version of the calculus. Next, Newton experimented with optics and colours. He was drawn into this by his interest in the telescopes which he constructed, grinding the lenses himself. All telescopes at this time consisted of two lenses mounted in a tube, but this type incurred two disadvantages. Powerful telescopes had to be made exceedingly long. Some were over 200 feet in length. Secondly, they suffered from what is termed chromatic aberration, giving all images coloured outlines and made them blurred and indistinct. The nature of colours, how they were produced, what caused them, had vexed philosophers from the time of the Greeks, and many ingenious but totally erroneous hypotheses had been proposed. For example, Isaac Barrow, Newton's mentor, was definite on this subject. Uh, white is that which discharges a copious light equally scattered in every direction. Black is that which emits light not at all or very sparingly. Red is that which emits light more condensed than usual, but interrupted by shady interstices. Blue is that which discharges a rarefied light, as in bodies which consist of white and black particles arranged alternately, such, for example, as the clear ether and the sea, in which the white salt is mixed with the black water. Uh, yellow consists of white and uh, a little red interspersed, and uh, uh, purple of uh, much blue. And...